Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. Reviewing the Eiffel Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton claimed his 91st career win, matching a record by Michael Schumacher and extending his championship lead to 69 points over his teammate following Bottas's retirement. Time to bring in Samuel Sage and Harry Eads. Guys, how did your bold predictions go? Well, I'm going to ignore that question, and I'm just going to talk about how you intro that as if we were in a theme park uh, on a local summer fair. Hello, welcome! I, I am, you know, like, actually. Like, which I love. And now I can imagine bringing me and Harry in, like we're coming in through like two mystery doors on each side of the stage, Smoke coming out, bam, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Like, here we go. The fight is on. I've got nothing else to say after that. And, and also, <laughs> my, uh, my bold prediction, I thought at one point yesterday, it could come true. Because we had Marcus Finkel, I mean, Nico Hulkenberg uh, come in, super sub, as well as Marcus uh, Finkelhock. I just need a bit of rain. But, of course. I was could... one third right. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah, right then. But the problem is... You weren't 100% right. However, on the contrary to that, Roman Grosjean scoring points did happen. So bold prediction, green tick next to that. Roman Grosjean with a broken finger. Yeah, I'm going to use his broken finger to swear at you over the fence. (laughs) He doesn't care. You know know how, like, this is Michael Jordan flu game-esque, you know. Roman Grosjean, hard hit by the fence, you know. He was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of trouble. But Roman Grosjean, Roman Bollard, the power that he is, was able to to work his way through the pain and get points. Classic Grosjean performance, really. Gutsy. I'm quite I've happy got, about I've got, it. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll actually move on from Roman Grosjean. But we've got a lot I'm to discuss today. Way. We'll be discussing the circuit itself, the Nürburgring, whether F1 needs to visit on a more regular basis. Hamilton, of course, out-dueling Verstappen for the victory and how Bottas can bounce back from this setback. 
Uh, but Bottas's downfall was Ricardo's opportunity. So we'll be discussing Ricardo's podium, his first one, uh, Renault's first one for about nine years, Ricardo's first one since Monaco 2018. But firstly, let's take a look at the Red Bull situation. Verstappen P2, but Alex Albon struggled after dropping to P6 at the start. Albon pit early on, making his way back through the traffic, but a collision with Kvyat and then a power unit problem ended his afternoon. Sam, first of all, what did you make of his performance? Uh, and is it time for Red Bull to perhaps assess their, their options here? Brace so, yourselves, Albon fans. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, I'm going to try and be analytical, okay? Okay? Uh, and I'm going to put it out there again, because I always feel like I have to. I like Alex Albon. He's a nice chap. But... Your teammate starts right up there with the Mercedes. You're less than half a second away from pole position and less than two seconds away from Lewis Hamilton after qualifying. Verstappen once again displays why he is considered one of the best drivers that we've seen in Formula 1 for a long time. He is up there with Lewis Hamilton as the, the only other best driver on the grid at the moment, I think. Those two are the top two going. Albon, on the other hand, I currently don't think is in the top half. Um, he started in fifth place behind Leclerc. You don't make up ground. Ricardo gets the better of you. You're stuck in traffic for ages. And Red Bull have the clever idea to, to bring you in. It's a bit dodgy, but you have locked up your tyre for nine hours going into turn three. So um, you don't have any rubber left on that tyre. So they bring you in early, which I get. Gets you out of that traffic a little bit. And you're 10 seconds behind in last place now. And then you don't make up any ground. And then you start making up ground eventually after more people pit and whatnot. And then when going past Gasly, for some reason, you believe that his car is half the length of everyone else's and you just drive into him. It seems as though the moment Albon seems to have any kind of interaction with another driver, is it, was it Kvyat, sorry, not Gasly, Kvyat, you just seem to collect them. There seems to be so much contact and, and poor management in your, in your drive. You then have to come in again for another set of tyres because you locked them up massively again. It's just, where's the management? Where's the pace to match the car that you've got there? They retire you because of an engine issue, which I've got to be honest, I think that's a bit of a saving grace. I think they've said that out of kindness for Alexander Albon and maybe the abuse he may get from people such as myself. Um, He's not good enough. I'm sorry. I've tried to stick it out. They've given so much more time to Albon than they did to Gasly. Carry on to the end of the season as well. Don't stop him out halfway through the season. Let him finish the season. But for me, there's so many great drivers waiting in the wings. There's so many brilliant people who deserve a top seat and deserve a good crack. Albon is not cutting the mustard for me. He's not even cutting the jelly. You know, he's not, he's not cutting anything. He's been given a spoon and it's made out of plastic and it snaps the moment he tried to cut anything open. The guy is just not up to scratch. And I'm, I'm, I've, I've kind of had enough now. We try to always give, yeah, more time. Yeah, you know, the pressure. Yeah, it's a toxic environment. You're not delivering. Move on. Red Bull cannot continue to fight Mercedes with one driver, essentially. And it's, it's just not good enough. What did you make of the performance, Harry, or what there was of it? Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was shoddy. It was messy. I don't know what you know. We've seen um, most of Albon's problems this year have been his actual one lap pace, where he's just admired him down the grid, mm-hmm. and then he's had to perform well during the race to make up for his bad quality. Um, and today, I mean, he, he was still a fair way off. Um, Max yesterday out qualified by Leclerc, so which you know still not brilliant, but at least he was kind of he was in the top five at least fifth. Um, but yeah, his race today was just uh, <laughs> it was just messy. And you know if you're if you're Red Bull and you're looking at other drivers who didn't have a messy race, didn't run into other people, 
didn't keep looking up their front right front for some reason. Um, you've got two drive two free agents in that racing point team this weekend, Holgenberg and Perez, who both had pretty su- su- superb races. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a real messy one. I thought Albon had turned a corner at Mugello, but yeah, today was he did. <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> he turned many corners. I think he turned more than one corner. <laughs> uh, why did we do a podcast? Um, yeah, I've lost my um, train of thought now. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a messy one, uh, and the retiring him for he had an issue with his car. I think it was rubbish. I don't think that was actually real, but anyway, we'll, we'll see. But um, yeah, considering. Considering other drivers in the field don't have a drive next year and we're driving better than Albon did, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a worrying weekend for him, I would say. Yeah, yeah, not one of his better weekends, that's for sure, in a, in a year that, quite frankly, hasn't had many good weekends as well. The, the first thing that I wanted to pick up on was his interview after qualifying, where P5, you know, by Albon's standards this year, is actually one of his better qualifyings. He was about half a second or so off the pace of Verstappen, which is about where he's been this year, give or take a few tenths. Um, And only one car separating himself and Verstappen, which isn't great, but is still better than quite a few other qualifying performances this year. Um, First of all, I mean, he was asked about you know, where he could be in the race today. Um, firstly, he, he kind of joked that a win would be nice before being a bit more realistic and saying, you know, he'd be happy with P4. Um, and, and Rosberg, Nico Rosberg on on punditry duty, he picked up on this and said, uh, I completely agree with him, that he did not like that comment at all because it just shows a complete lack of ambition. P4 should be based on what car he's in, the bare minimum of what Albon achieves week in, week out. And he should be claiming podiums where one of the top three, as was the case this time, um, they run into some sort of problems. Today, it was Valtteri Bottas retiring from the race. In other situations, it's Lewis Hamilton claiming a a penalty at the end of the Austrian Grand Prix. When those sorts of things happen, you want Albon to be in P4 with the opportunity to to then strike. And it didn't happen. So I also took issue with him targeting P4. where's the ambition to go for a podium? Could you imagine Max Verstappen qualifying P5 and saying, oh, it'd be great if I finished P4 tomorrow? You just wouldn't, you would never hear that from him because it's not what what should be expected of a Red Bull driver. Ultimately, Red Bull have a target and their target is to beat beat Mercedes. That's the be all and end all. Mercedes are the only team right now that are ahead of them. The target has to be to take them down and they haven't achieved it and no one else has achieved it in a long, long time. Do they have at their disposal two drivers that can do that? The blunt and honest answer is no. Verstappen can do it and Albon can't. So if if your driver is not in a position where he can do something about it, you need to move on. You need to look at other options or at the very least, you need to understand why it's not happening right now and whether it could happen in the future. But personally, I think he has had sufficient time to at least show something and, and today was a prime example of of where Red Bull can take advantage and they just don't. You know, Bottas out of the race, uh, and I'm not even speaking about Albon claiming P3 as a result of that. I'm saying Verstappen had no chance whatsoever to mix up the strategy and potentially gain a, a race winner, at least ask some questions of Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were both in a position where they could have pit a second time. Obviously, the safety car they did in the end, but... Without that safety car, there was you know, one stop, two stop. It was a bit unsure. 
either of them could have could have stopped, but Hamilton would have covered it off straight away. If Albon's in that fight, even 20 seconds away from the lead two guys, he's a factor. And suddenly they have to bear that in mind. Wasn't the case. And Verstappen was hamstrung. There was nothing he could do. Um, and people compare the Bottas and Albon situations quite a lot. And I, I think that's completely wrong to do so because Bottas and Albon are not in the same league, quite frankly. Bottas on Saturday, and Bottas has his own issues, and you know we're, we'll probably go on to discuss those in a bit. But Bottas can beat Hamilton in qualifying, and he can take race wins when when Hamilton isn't there. You know he beat Hamilton by two and a half tenths on Saturday. You'd never see Albon do that over Verstappen. So I don't think those two situations are at all comparable. Looking at the race itself, I think you know he was fairly lucky to avoid contact on on lap one, going into turn three. Um, 22 laps or so, I think it was, that he, he ended up doing two pit stops, you know, ruined the, the first set of mediums that he was on. Complained about Gasly racing him too hard, which is, quite frankly, ridiculous. There was nothing... Hilarious. Did, there was nothing that Gasly did wrong. Um, and, and, and second of all, like you, you don't hear Verstappen complaining about Gasly's driving. Do you know what the reason is? Verstappen's nowhere near Gasly, as it should be because he's got a much better car. I don't think Verstappen and Gasly have shared the same bit of circuit at all this season, because Verstappen's always, rightfully so, way ahead. Albon seems to fight Gasly on a weekly basis, and there's no reason that they should just give it up. No reason whatsoever. The Kvyat incident was was poor. You know, it was just misjudgment on Al- Albon's part. There was, there was no real need to, to move back. I know, I know he would have had a better line if he'd got all the way back to the left-hand side of the circuit, but... Again, he's in a much quicker car. Kvyat was clearly struggling at the time. Alvin would have got past. Um, and yeah, I really do think that Red Bull need to assess their options here and they need to definitely consider moving on from Alex Alvin because Alex Alvin is a good driver and he has a future in the sport, but I don't think it's at the top. I really don't think it's at the top. The one problem for me is, and this is when Alvin came into that role last season, it's all about progression. That's why Gasly was dropped you know from the first race of that season in Australia to his last race uh before the summer break there was no progression there was no sign that Gasly was going to get closer and closer to Verstappen and I thought that might be different with Albon because he started out fairly well at least in comparison to Gasly and how he fared against Verstappen but you need to see that progression to be able to comfortably claim that seat you need to be able to demonstrate that, OK, the qualifying head to head was seven tenths over the first 10 races. In the next 10 races, it needs to be three tenths to show that, you know, you are getting closer. But I don't think that's been the case. You remember Albon matched Verstappen in qualifying in Japan last year. I haven't seen that again this year. There's been no progression. So what sign is there whatsoever that Red Bull should stay with him? And you rightly say where you've got two free agents, essentially, in the racing point cars who showed what they were able to do this weekend. Both of them had good races. It's worrying for Albon. It really is. On top of that, just for context, if you think we're being harsh about it, which don't get me wrong, I think often we, 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 like to, we like to have some fun with things, but I've got the points table up in front of me, and this will surprise you here. Verstappen, 147 points in third. Ricardo in fourth, 78 points. That tells you the gap already and where maybe the other Red Bull should be in that gap. Perez in fifth, 68 points. Lando Norris, remember Perez has missed two races as well. Perez in fifth, 68 points. Lando Norris in sixth with 65 points. Alexander Albon, there he is in seventh, 64 points. Charles Leclerc and that Ferrari is one point behind him and has had more podiums this year than Albon has in a Red Bull that's been on the podium at least, I think, seven or eight times out of the last 11 races. Blooming Hulkenberg 
He's got 10 points to his name already. He's only been in two Grand Prix. The poor bloke's trying his hardest, and Perez has done the same thing. So if you think that Albon, we're speaking harshly of him, that, that tells you everything you need to know. The fact that he, if, he, if he has one other bad race, there's every chance that he could drop as far down to 10th or 11th place in the Constructors' Championship. And that, the Drivers' Championship, sorry. And that, for me, in a car that has won a race this season, legitimately, not through any, you know, red flag business, actual on pace, that tells you everything you need to know. That is not good enough. So, I mean, if they were to look for someone else, Sam, who should be at the top of that sheet? You would be crazy to look past Perez or Hulkenberg. I have to take my hat off to Perez. He has driven brilliantly for the latter part of this season. He had a poor start. I mean, not bad, but poor in comparison to what Perez is, I think, is capable of. And then he got dropped for what we now know is the move from Sebastian Vettel. Um, but since then, he's almost been like a, a driving billboard. You know, he's like, look at me, look at me go. He's almost fourth in the championship. You know, if he has another good race and Ricardo has a poor one next time out in Imola, Perez goes fourth in the championship which is just incredible. So hat off to Perez. He deserves another seat in F1. And if it gets to be that Red Bull for maybe two years while they change something around, great stuff. Perez has got the backing. Perez has got the the know-how. Perez knows how to develop a car. Perez will work well in a team. I don't think Perez and Verstappen will fall out over anything. On the other hand, Nico Hulkenberg. Guy's been around for a long time. He's not really old yet. He's got at least three or four years left capable in a car. Uh, Again, knows how to develop and build a team. Very popular with fans. We'd probably fit, settle into the team really well. Hogelberg's like the most laid-back guy going, unless it's around Magnussen. Honestly, those are two people that you've got there that are brilliant. And if you want to look at it, I don't think he'd take it, but Pierre Gasly is one of the drivers of the absolute season so far. So why would you, again, not consider Gasly? If you could say to him, you get your time, we won't press you like we did, we'll give you the same environment you've got at Tor Rosso, or, oh my God, I've done it, Alpha Tauri, <laughs> then, then why not? You've got at least three guys in your lineup that are bloody brilliant. And if you really want to go crazy, you've got guys in F2 as well that are also churning out great performances. For me, unfortunately, this is the last season that Albon should be Get in that Get Goat Bull. Roy in the car. Come on, Red Bull. Well, I mean, Harry, I was going to ask for your view as to who they should be lining up, but that's clearly answered the question already. <laughs> <laughs> on a more serious note, anyone, anyone else you'd like to mention or do you think it is those names that should be uh, in Red Bull's consideration? What, Roy Nassani? Roy Nassani. And then Ronnie's like, I was thinking more Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez, but sure. Yeah, no. Uh, well, yeah, like I said earlier, I think you know today was a, a case in point. Um, Hulkenberg and Perez both drove really well, and why would you not take one of those drivers for that Red Bull seat next year? Maybe I know Red Bull really want to stick to their junior program, and that's what they you know promote the hardest, but. Sometimes maybe you've got to admit that it's not working, and that's why they've had to drop Gasly, drop Kvyat, um in the past because it's you know it just doesn't quite work. Um, why not? They've they've employed outside before. They had Weber, they had DC when it first started. Then they first started the team side. So I don't. It's almost like they're kind of too focused on this young driver program to to look at their other options. So um, yeah, I, if honestly I would put, I don't know who I choose between Holgenberg and Perez, but probably Perez. I'd put one of those two in that car next year. Yeah, I I personally think Perez should be target one. Um just because we have got that previous of Perez and Hulkenberg head to head and it was Perez who came out on top. You know, Perez has got eight podiums to his name. Hulkenberg as much as I like him, there's a reason he hasn't got any. Um he he's always been a solid driver. I don't think he is capable of, of that absolute top seat and I think Perez probably is 
we speak a lot about Perez's early move to McLaren and, and the fact that it just came too early in his career. And I would definitely agree with that. And maybe there's that maybe that instance actually applies to Gasly and, and Albon as well. Maybe the future, maybe they will get another another shot. Maybe Albon will continue in there. We don't know at this point. But yeah, Perez, I think not only based on today, but just based on his performance generally, really in the hybrid era, you, know, you can go all the way back uh, and just see what he's what he's capable of. Um, he's very advantageous. He's very opportunistic. And ultimately, advantageous and opportunistic are the two things that Red Bull need the most in that second driver. We've said all along that Max Verstappen can be your number one guy. That's absolutely fine. You need that backup. Uh, and the backup needs to take advantage when Verstappen isn't there or or when one of the Mercedes retires. Gasly hasn't been able to provide that role. Albon isn't able to provide that role. I think Perez would be more than fitting of doing a job there. So I would, I'd be lining up to get, to get Sergio Perez here. I mean, just to, just to, I don't, not necessarily excuse Albon or, and Gasly, but we've seen Verstappen now. He, he's dominated the pair of them. Harry, do you think there is an instance here where Verstappen is just completely outperforming the car? Or do you think that it is maybe a bit of both? Um, I think he, well, I don't know, because I just think that car, you know, he's been in that team for a while now and that car it just suit, suits him. And he has a particular, a particular way of driving it that obviously Gasly and Albon can't get really get their heads around or couldn't get their heads around. Um, yeah, we, we know how good Max is and any any driver that comes in has to drive against him. It's going to be tough. Um, yeah, and it, and I guess it makes the gap look even worse, but you know, if you're going to be in a top team such as Red Bull, you're going to, you know, Ricardo could do it. He could match Max. So it, it can be done. Um, yeah, it's, it just takes just takes a, a lot of a lot of talent. And I don't know, uh, Albon and, and Gasly have a lot of talent, but maybe not just quite enough, at least to drive around the 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 way that that Red Bull is set up, which which you know is quite clearly for Max because yeah, he's a, he's their chosen driver. So. I don't. I don't really know what other drivers have to do. I don't know which ones they bring in. I don't, you know, would Perez come in and struggle as much as Gasly and Albon? I don't know. Could he could well do, but they want to keep Max, so they're going to have to keep making that car for Max. So I don't know what Red Bull do really. Sam, do you think there's a case here that Verstappen is making Albon and before him Gasly look worse than they've actually been? Yeah, one hundred percent. But. Again, I, I, that's part of racing, right? You need to step up to your competition, and your closest competition is the guy on the other side of the garage. Um, Verstappen, as I said earlier, is the, in the top two of, the, of, of F1 at the moment, Hamilton being the other guy up there. Um, he's out driving that car 100%. He's mixing it with the Mercedes. And if Verstappen wasn't around, if we had both Gasly and Albon in that car, shall we say, I think the Red Bull would be a lot further back than we think they would be. Max Verstappen is driving brilliantly. The guy is a true talent. It's raw talent. He's stepped up another you know, level again this year. Kind of, we had that Brazil performance last year where I really think it was like peak for Stappen. And he's carried that form through the whole way through this season. He's doing a brilliant job, deserves all the praise he's getting. Uh, I would love to see him in a car that is able to challenge for a race wing after race wing because I think it'd be a fantastic fight between him and Hamilton. Um, and yes, he is outclassing those two drivers, Gasly before, now Albon. But... They also should be learning from that. Bottas has managed to step up. 
Bottas has improved over the time that he's been at Mercedes. Bottas went a whole season around without a race wing. And now look at him. He's beating Hamilton regularly in qualifying. Uh, they are separated by less than a couple of seconds on most races when they do both finish, which is 99.9% of the time. Bottas has gotten better because of Lewis's influence and vice versa. Lewis has also stepped it up because he's got Bottas to deal with. Bottas is no slouch. Verstappen is motivating himself and going by himself. I don't think he feels challenged by Albon. I don't think he felt challenged by Gasly. And I think that he will continue to be a, a complete talent. And they almost need to put someone in that isn't a young talent looking to prove themselves. The nice thing about Hulkenberg and Perez is that everyone likes them. Everyone knows them. They're a normal face around the grid. People know what they're capable of. They haven't got to go in there proving that they're worthy of some kind of drive like Albon has. They, they're ready for it. They're good. So they do a couple of years. They develop the car. They go into the new era of Formula One and they help them develop how the car feels for that. And then, you know what? Perez and, or Hulkenberg get to a point where they're old enough to, to step away and they bring someone young who's had a couple more years to develop. For me, the staffing is elite. Albon and Gasly are just very good. And I think you need to have someone in there that has no expectations who is able of driving well, such as Perez and Hulkenberg. Okay, moving back to the race itself then. Driver of the day, Harry, who have you got lined up for this award? A uh, few candidates, Hamilton, obviously, Ricardo, but I'm going to have to go with Nico Hockenberg. I'm going to have to be a sheep and agree with the masses because that man was having a coffee in Cologne at 11am yesterday and then he finished P8. So I know he's driven the car before, but there's only race two this year that he's done. A poor man's never going to be able to relax ever again, is he? <laughs> He's just going to be permanently looking at his phone, waiting for Otmar to call. Um, yeah, a, a super job. And I, we've already spoken about um, how well both uh, Racing Point drivers did today. But yeah, considering he jumped in the car, did four laps for Quali yesterday, I think P8 is a pretty huge result. So yeah, I'm going to go Nico Hulkenberg. Sam, who have you got for driver of the day? Uh, well, just to talk about Nico Hulkenberg again, because why not? Who doesn't love talking about Nico Hulkenberg? The guy started P20, you know, he was not too far off getting through to Q2 either after not pretty much running a single lap, literally had a, a you know, a couple of laps at the start of the qualifying to warm himself up and bam, he was there. Um, started last. Yes, five cars went out this race. So that would only put him P15. He's seven places up on that again. Like, it's natural for him, isn't it? He's jumped back in that car and he's pulled the performance out of the bag. Lance Stroll, I don't think, would have been too much higher up the grid. At most, I think Lance Stroll might have been fifth or sixth. So for P8, after only having done one other race all season, fantastic performance from Nico Hulkenberg. And I'm inclined to agree about with the masses and with Harry about, you know, driving the day. Lewis Hamilton, for me as well, did a great job. The fact that in his post-race interview, now I don't know if he's saying this because it happened to turn out true, or if Hamilton's actually thinking this way. But in his post-race interview, Hamilton spoke about how he's about two seconds behind Bottas, second and a half, and he started to notice that Bottas was struggling with his tyres and how he managed his tyres better. And he's like, right, now's my time to strike. I've got to go. And you saw the gap on the timing screens go from about 1.6 down to one second, 0.9 seconds. And on the final corner, it was 0.8 seconds. And that was the corner that uh, Hamilton pressured enough Bottas locks up. Hamilton, yeah, it was close, but Hamilton gets that move down around the outside of turn two, takes the race lead. And even if Bottas fell off the track at that point, you know, even if Bottas manages to actually then not DNF the car due to uh, engine problems, I think Hamilton goes on to win that race and he strikes brilliantly. So uh, Hulkenberg top, but Hamilton for me just in behind. And then Ricardo and Perez, also both excellent. 
Yeah, I think um, with Nico Hulkenberg, I think he is definitely a contender. I'm not going to give it to him, though. It was definitely an impressive performance, but I think it's important to bear in mind that Bottas, Norris, Albon all would have finished ahead. He beat the Alphas, the Haas guys, Latifi. There wasn't necessarily anyone who he definitely shouldn't have beaten that he did beat. Not, no, it's not taking anything away from him. I just think his performance was maybe slightly inflated by how the race went. But he was there to take advantage, so fair play to him. And he is a contender. He beat Vettel, to be fair. He did beat Vettel, yeah. Yeah, he did beat Vettel. Although, and I'll get onto him in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers whatsoever. Um, I'm going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo on his return to the podium. I think it would have likely been fairly close with him and Sergio Perez. And I guess the safety car took away that that finish between the two of them because the safety car kind of neutralised it for that individual battle. Um, I'm not sure how it would have gone. I, I reckon Ricardo would have held on, but I'm not too sure. Uh, regardless, I think the pair of them had great races. And, and Ricardo, you know, he managed to get past Leclerc, um, didn't make any rash moves whatsoever. It took a few laps for him to do it, but when he did get past, it was clean. Um, and yeah, from there, he was just able to control his race. And we've seen this year, actually. Ricardo's never been poor on his tyres, but he's actually had a really good opportunity this year to show how good he is at tyre management. Uh, I think Perez is right up there as well, obviously, in that regard. But yeah, Ricardo, really well-managed race, fully deserved podium. Um, it's only really due to misfortune and things not quite going his way that he hasn't already been on the podium this year for me he is outside of Verstappen and Hamilton I think he's been the best driver this year um great great result great performance worst driver of the day Sam well it's between two and one of them retired so Albon you you were scapegoating out by your team have it made known here that I do think that Red Bull created an issue to get Albon off the track. Um, but Sebastian Vettel was the worst driver of the day. Uh, Charles Leclerc did do a great job. Uh, yes, he fell down from the starting position, but he's still out driving that Ferrari, I think. Vettel can't even get into the points at this point. You know, he, he spang it. He's absolutely dropped one there, um, which looks silly. He's being beaten by Alfa Romeos. It's just... I know that Vettel is kind of on the beach at the moment. He wants to get out of there as soon as possible. But he's not doing his reputation any good. He does need to step it up, I think, for the end of the season. He's lucky that he's a four-time world champion because if this was happening to someone who had no world championships and was just maybe a race winner, I think he might be out of a drive. So for me, his championships are saving him a little bit because this was another really poor performance. What say you, Harry? Uh, it's between Vettel and Albon, but I'll, I'm not going to give it to Vettel just because he, he did gather up his silly drop uh, pretty well. Um, and he also didn't run into anyone, so it's got to be Albon. <laughs> they, they were, neither of them were great, but um, on the basis that Vettel spun because he, I don't know, was trying to avoid another car that he was trying to overtake, whereas Albon just hit it. I'll go with, gonna go with Albon. <laughs> By virtue of not hitting someone, I, I love that being the reason. Um, I can't argue with both of those names. I'm I'm going to give it to Vettel. Um, yeah, it's it's disappointing when when Leclerc was able to get all the way up to P4 in qualifying that Vettel couldn't even make Q3 and the race wasn't a great deal better. He just seems to be in a permanent battle with the Alfa Romeos now, which is partly due to how poor the car is. But at the same time, Leclerc, Leclerc wasn't batting them. 
So, yeah, Sebastian Vettel, it was a poor, poor error going into turn one, particularly with the strategy he was on as well. Obviously, we started on the medium tyres, so um, he could have taken them long into the race, similar to what Gasly did, and that, that was effective. You know, Grosjean, uh, as much as we joke about Roman Bollard, he did go quite far into the Grand Prix, score points. Um, so, yeah, Sebastian Vettel. I, I would also like to say, and I feel like... Uh, uh, actually, no. Kimi doesn't care that it's his 323rd race start, so I'm not going to care either. So he's yeah, in I don't care. As well, um, yeah, I, it was a poor performance from him, really. And you know, Giovinazzi managed to grab a point and was ahead pretty much the entire weekend as well. You know, qualifying, there was I think five positions between them in the race. Uh, Antonio went on to a two-stop strategy. Kimi was on the one stop at the time the safety car came out. Um, but yeah, Kimi, that that punterino into uh, into George Russell wasn't his best moment by far. So those three can share the spoils. <laughs> and what was your moment of the race, Sam? Mm, tough one. Uh, big moment for me was the lockup from Bottas and Hamilton siding in front. That I still think there's a real fight between these two when they actually get together. I think it's really fun to see how much those two are willing to go wheel to wheel, but the respect they have for each other. So for me, that was absolutely brilliant. The other moment was the retirement of Albon, where all of a sudden, there's nothing wrong with the car. You've messed up the tyres twice, and yet you're the one no longer driving around either. It's just a bit... um bit telling for maybe what Red Bull are thinking about that second seat. So for me, there's a, there's a good fight moment and there's a, a long-term is something going on behind the scenes moment. Moment of the race, Harry? Uh, it has to be when Crofty said, Paul DeResta, you have something to say. And Paul <laughs> said, no, I don't. <laughs> and no, then mate. Crofty was like, I'm just hearing things. So uh, I'll shut up. So that's my, no. Uh, another good one was also when Grosjean broke his finger, apparently. Not, that's not, not good well no, no i don't mean a, a good moment but he, you know he's just like i think i've broken my finger and then we Poor never guy heard, we never heard heard about it again because he's gutsy grosjean not roman bollard anymore heroic roman bollard i love you mate good god <laughs> um i'm gonna say what should i go with uh it's slightly cheating because it will happened after the race but mick schumacher handing over um, oh. his his dad's uh, one of his dad's Mercedes helmets to to Lewis. That was a that was a pretty epic moment. Actually, on the track, um, <laughs> an epic moment was how Nicholas Latifi and Danny Cavia, at least judging by the timing screens, had the battle of the century in the last <laughs> five laps, and we didn't see one bit of it. I'm sure on Twitter we're going to be able to see like a five minute video of them going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, well, but yeah, we, we were treated to absolutely none of it in the actual on the actual stream of the race. So um, I'll, I'll give I'll give those two a mention because they deserve it. They won't get a mention elsewhere. Also, I've just seen a very interesting stat for everyone goes everywhere. Nico Hulkenberg has scored more points in the last seven races than Sebastian Vettel. Ooh. Ah, yikes. Ten points to eight. That tells yeah. you a lot, folks. At least, at least Vettel's getting that car next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting that whip. Could you imagine, like this time last year, knowing that Nico Hulkenberg doesn't have a seat this year, and knowing that Ferrari last year were, you know, <laughs> taking wins? Imagine saying this time last year. So next year, Hulkenberg in two races is going to outscore 
Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari in seven, and it's going to be ten to eight. Like that's yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable. Pretty, pretty remarkable. Fall from grace. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Valtteri Bottas didn't have the uh, the best Sunday after a pretty good Saturday. He outqualified Verstappen and Hamilton, both of which were in contention for pole by about two and a half tenths of a second, um, but he couldn't convert it into a race win. He did manage to hold on to the lead uh, through turn one, just about, but he ended up losing that lead later on in the race before retiring with uh, a very rare reliability issue for the Mercedes guys. So, Harry, do you think this happened at pretty much the worst time for Bottas after he was looking to build momentum after his win last time? I mean, yeah, I don't think that that he would have been able to regain this championship. But, you know, after Saturday, he really pulled it out of the bag. That was a, that's a big margin to beat Lewis Hamilton by over one lap. That's, you know, the most successful qualifier in the history of F1. And then Bottas did him by, you know, two tenths of a second. So, yeah, big Saturday. And then even at the start when I was like, Oh god, he's lost the lead, like for you know, here we go again for Bottas and then he and then he pulled it back, like in turn two. And, you know, even Hamilton said he was like, Damn <laughs> like fair fair play. Like didn't see that one coming. So um yeah, the lock up I don't think well, he obviously then had to pit and he lot he lost a fair bit of time to Hamilton, but you know, who knows where that would have gotten Bottas on the, you know, a different strategy. But um yeah. It's, it, if, it, if we didn't think it was game over now, which we already did, it definitely is now. It's 70 points. So, um, yeah, and I think it might it, it would just have killed that momentum that Bottas seemed to have got this weekend after the win in Russia. And, he, you know, it seemed to be on... The momentum seemed to be on his side. But, um, yeah, look, he, he, in all likelihood, he probably wouldn't have been able to get back past Hamilton again unless Hamilton made a mistake, and we know they those are pretty rare. So um, it kind of all came undone with a lockup. But yeah, it, it's a shame. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the momentum, you know, Bottas can still take that form into the next race. But yeah, it's a bit of a blow for him. Sam, what did you make of Bottas' weekend? And yeah, similar question. Do you think that this was about as badly timed a retirement as he can get? This weekend for Bottas was very much like his overall form when it comes to races especially in the last season or so it starts well you have a, you know, a flash in the pan of greatness he grabbed qualifying and deservedly so he was the better man on the final run in q3 he saved it all up for the right moment and delivered a fantastic lap um and then it was a bit dodgy off the line hamilton looked to have got in front but again hamilton takes his cap off and says where did that come from i'm impressed and he fought back and that was great to see and then about 10 laps later it was a bit naff again, wasn't it? It's the same with Bottas. He has a great wing. It's a, a great moment. He celebrates it. He tells all his, all his haters swear words over a radio after being given a wing by a proxy. Um, and then the next moment he has to prove himself, he throws it away. The lockup was poor. The time management was again from Bottas poor. We've seen it multiple times uh, throughout the, the whole season that Bottas' time management is not to the level of Lewis Hamilton's time management. Go back to Silverstone, where the punctures came for both guys but Hamilton's came right at the moment where he needed it to come if it was ever going to be needed. Bottas ruined his race, lost the whole whole race, haul of points. Um, he then has to pit, of course, under um, normal conditions, ruins the strategy. We'll have had to probably have fought, we'll have to have fought past the staffing anyway because of that. Uh, so I think the race win was gone regardless of whether he DNF whatsoever. But if you are going to then get a DNF, 
yeah, you're trying to build that momentum. He gets pole. He wins the last race. You know, it is looking like it's on the up. Even if he doesn't win this race, it's another good thing to take away. The points is is still minimalized. You know that that maximizing the uh, the points you can take and minimizing damage. That's what you want to do. And for any driver who is even in any contention of the world title to have a DNF when your teammate goes on to to win the race and claim all twenty five points, that is heartbreak for any any race driver. So yeah, it sucks. And I think that Hamilton. I think we've got what six races left to go. I think Hamilton can win the championship. If he wins the next three races, I think that's done and dusted pretty much. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, pretty pretty tough times to Bottas and that is championship pretty much sewn up. Yeah, I've, I've said since the beginning, I think this is Hamilton's championship and I don't think Bottas has any chance of winning. But this was a really disastrous result. Um, just because it was, um, imagine if it happened the other way around and it was it was Lewis Hamilton that had claimed uh, Lewis Hamilton had the DNF and, and Bottas had claimed the victory, then suddenly Bottas is within one race win of Lewis Hamilton. He'd still need an extra stroke of good luck, but he would have been in striking range about 20 points or so. As it happens, it's a 50-point swing and, and suddenly Lewis Hamilton can have a couple of DNFs and probably get away with it. Um, I, I said before the race that I don't think Bottas will win because he's proven time and time again that um, he can't follow up race victories and he, he really struggles to build momentum. And the annoying thing is he actually got fairly close to, he, he got fairly close to dispelling that. Um, and it, but yeah, it, in Bottas style, I guess he managed to return to, to his normality. Uh, and let's face it, he, he messed it up for himself. You know, the DNF cost him a podium. It cost him probably 15 points, but it didn't cost him the race win unless something spectacular had happened. And and Bottas, you know, he had this. If Bottas had retired from the lead of this race, I would say fair enough. You know, there's nothing he can do there. He's very unlucky, but he lost this for himself with that error down into turn one. But it is mixed emotions because there were good signs this weekend. That's probably the most annoying thing from his perspective is that it wasn't a lost cause. The qualifying performance on Saturday was very impressive, particularly after Q2, Verstappen and Hamilton held a significant advantage over him. Yeah, at that point, you're thinking, OK, Bottas is going to go back into this regular pattern of, of being too far behind Lewis Hamilton. You know, he's going to he's going to qualify half a second behind. He's going to finish 15 seconds behind and you know, back to normality. The annoying thing is that's not how it went down. And Bottas did a brilliant job of recovering in Q3 and put together a fantastic lap to beat both Verstappen and Hamilton. This was probably the first time this season it felt like a three-person fight for that pole position. The race as well, the start of the race. Again, another test for Bottas that he passed. Lewis Hamilton got the better start of the two. He had the inside line. Bottas, you know, Hamilton didn't quite judge turn one correctly, went too deep. But Bottas held it. He's stuck in there. He held his line and he was able to come back at him. And we've we've said on a few occasions, not just this season, that Bottas can struggle to show enough grit on that first corner and on that first lap. Today was the complete opposite. He was able to show that he will stick it in there. He will stay there. He, he won't be pushed aside. And he was able to maintain that lead. So that's probably the most frustrating thing is that qualifying was a test that he passed. The first corner was a test that he passed. And then he goes, 
probably the the easiest part w- was maintaining that lead. You know, he was out on his own, and and it was only going to change if he made an error, which he did. So that's so it's very frustrating. I uh, look, I I don't think the championship was ever on, so I can't say that now. I think it's off, but mathematically speaking, it is a mountain to climb now. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. Um, but Bottas, he can at least take heart from from what he was able to do at the beginning of the race and in qualifying. And just to quickly touch on as well, we've we've already spoken briefly about Roman Bollard and how he managed to claim two points. Um, and Antonio Giovinazzi as well managed to claim a point. So you've got two under-fire drivers there who, um, ironically, you know, Callum Eilert was lined up to do a practice session for Haas and Mick Schumacher was lined up to do a practice session for Alfa Romeo. And the two people who are arguably under the most pressure responded with points finishes. Sam, do you think that this will this will affect their standing whatsoever? Mm, I think it will affect Giovinazzi's standing more than I think it will affect Grosjean's standing. Grosjean has had plenty of time to assert himself, to show that he's better than Magnussen, to show that he's the one that you know should stay around while the other one maybe gets the chop. Um, both those Haas drivers have had more than long enough to um, to get there. And the same thing applies with what with what happened to Hulkenberg, right? It, the, the amount of DNS that happened in front of them was just, was flattering. It, it deceived the end result. Uh, I don't think Giovinazzi or Grosjean get that those points finishes if Norris stays in and, and Bottas stays in and Ocon stays in. You know, it, it makes them look better than they, they were. And they were good drives. Don't get me wrong. Grosjean did a great job with his broken finger. Uh, Giovinazzi also did a great job to beat Kimi Raikkonen. And honestly, in a perfect world, I would take Giovinazzi in that seat for another season over Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi Raikkonen is done and dusted. For me, move him on. He's a waste of a seat. He sees it just as a hobby. I don't think that's fair now when there are so many people who are committed to this life as a crew passion. They love it. It's what they live for. And Kimi just sees it as something to do on the weekend. I'm, I'm kind of done with that attitude. Put someone else in there next to Giovinazzi for a season. If the rookie beats Giovinazzi in their first year, then you know that Giovinazzi's had his time and you can swap him out. But give those two a go together. Would that be Schumacher or Ayla or Schwartzman? Whoever you want to do it, give that a go for me. Um, I also think that maybe Grosjean's had his time. We know Grosjean's a strong racer. We know he's had some great moments in the past. But I think he's also had his time in trying to prove himself. Magnussen's got a bit of time left on his belt. I think Magnussen could do, you know, do with another season in a car that might perform. But Grosjean, I think, tag his moment. I think we'll do brilliantly in either IndyCar or World Endurance Championship. I think he'd be great in either. But again, get a rookie in that seat next to someone. You know, whether that be Perez, if he maybe doesn't get the move to Red Bull, or Hulkenberg, or, or Magnussen with a new lease of life. But for me, Grosjean's had his time. Giovinazzi, maybe, for me, and I'm talking real maybe, because I still think it was flattering today, gets one more season alongside a rookie. Harry, do you think those respective performances from Grosjean and Giovinazzi helped them at all for reclaiming their seat? I think it's actually the opposite way around to what Sam said, because I think um, Giovinazzi's fate is completely out of his hands now. I think it depends on whether Kimi retires. If Kimi retires, he's in that seat alongside Mick Schumacher next year. If Kimi stays on, then Mick's going to replace Giovinazzi. I'm pretty sure that's how that's going to go. Um Whereas for Grosjean, I'm not saying it makes a huge difference, but at least uh, it's maybe slightly still in his hands. And he he's probably well aware that Gunter Steiner only likes employing the same drivers for eternity. So um, <laughs> he's he's probably aware that a good result, beating your teammates, scoring a couple of points with a broken finger, um, will, will stand him in good stead. I'm not saying it will make the difference. I think maybe Grosjean is 
going out the door at the end of this year, and he'll go and do something else. As Sam said, maybe IndyCar. He's already, you know, spoke of his interest of the Pojo's entry into the 2022 uh, World Endurance Championship. So maybe he'll go and do that as well. But um, yeah, so I, th- I think if Giovinazzi could do what Giovinazzi could win a race, and I don't think it just depends on what Kimi does. Um, whereas Grosjean at least maybe has a bit of a say in it. But uh, yeah. I don't think it'll make too much of a difference, to be honest, the performances today. Yeah, I would I'd agree with that assessment of, of Giovinazzi, um, which is a bit of a shame because I, 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 do, I do understand the logic in having Kimi there if you are going to have Mick Schumacher in the other seat, mentor him for a year. Um, you know, if Ferrari are going to have high hopes of him, um, so yeah, I understand. I understand why they would have that mixture of experience and youth, and you know, I'm sure the marketing team wouldn't turn down a Raikkonen Mick Schumacher partnership. Uh, but it is a shame because Antonio Giovinazzi's had a had a good. Well, I don't want to say have a, had a good year, but I think he's been on a par with Raikkonen. Um, whereas last season, and again, this is going back to the whole progression thing, where drivers come into seats and you want to see them. You want to see where they where they get to. You want to see where they were at the start, and you want to see that improve as time goes on, which I think has been the case for Giovinazzi. Um, more often than not, qualifying is pretty close week in, week out. He had a very good performance this time out. Uh, and in the race, I think he's getting there. I still think Raikkonen holds a minor edge, but I don't think it's much at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is a bit of a shame, but I don't think this this point is gonna is gonna do much for him. In terms of the Haas drive, I mean, Roman Bollard, as inspirational as that drive was, heroic, nothing short of that. I don't think it's going to have much of a, a bearing on whether he gets his seat again or not. Um, ultimately, we know what we we know what we get with Roman Grosjean. He's been around the sport for it's been over ten years since his debut. He's been a regular in the sport for a number of years now. You know exactly what you're going to get with him. He's not going to show anything now that we haven't seen before, which is good when it comes to assessing a driver. There's no surprises. There's no spills. Grosjean is exactly what you would expect of him. So I don't think I don't think claiming a point, uh, well, claiming two points is going to it's going to make much of a difference for him. Um, maybe he does retain the role just because that has. Yeah, you know, I, I I think they will. <laughs> they they do seem determined to keep that partnership. Um, I think, in all honesty, they will keep at least one of those drivers because of how much of a diva that Haas has been. Um, we know that it's been, it's had a lot of problems. They basically had two different cars on the go at the same time last year, uh, and those two drivers, if nothing else, they understand what's what's going on with it, uh, and that experience could be valuable to an extent. I don't think it's it's valuable enough to keep both of them around, but it might be valuable to keep one one of them around. Realistically, unless Grosjean goes on a very good run at the end of this year, I think Magnussen's got the advantage in that respect. So, I don't think, I don't think claiming two points is going to change greatly. Before we go today, just a quick discussion on the Nurburgring because, of course, it was the first time we've been there for seven years. Um, Harry, do you think that the Nurburgring should be a permanent fixture, or at least a semi-permanent fixture, on the calendar? Well, Ben, I feel I feel rude me doing this first because obviously you are the most passionate Nurburgring fan there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll be brief. Um, absolutely, I and there's you know been ideas discussed over the weekend whether we should have like guest races and bring back a couple of old tracks each year. 
And we said this in the in in the preview podcast about you know when we were talking about the potential race in uh, in Brazil is it in Rio, I can't remember. Um, and saying there are so many yeah. decent old tracks that we can go to, such as the Nurburgring, that we don't need that. So yeah, um, but yeah, I would one hundred percent be down to for keeping the Nurburgring. I have the Nurburgring and Hockenheim. I like both of those tracks there, and they always have good, if not great, races. So. Um, yeah, definitely keep the Nurburg, Nurburg on Nurburg ring on there. Uh, I would be happy if they, you know, could stump up the money or F1 gave them a break if they went back to swapping, you know, the German GP each year like they had been doing in between Hockenheim and the Nurburgring. I think that worked well, and at least it keeps both tracks on the calendar in some form. So, yeah, thumbs up for me. Keep the Nurburgring every year. Thumbs up from you as well, Sam. That track has got so much personality, hasn't it? I mean, you can see the bumps in the track. It's not, a, it's not a, uh, I think Brundle said it in qualifying, I don't want to drive on a billiard table, right? That There's so much room for mistake around the Nürburgring. There's gravel on almost every corner. Sorry, Roman. Um, you know, there, there's <laughs> bumps and cracks and little humps everywhere. The, the braking with undulation is crazy. The, the weather... You, you can see how tentative some of these drivers were. World-class drivers were struggling to get the car going around certain corners. Um, even the pit lane has tiny little ups and downs going for it. The track is so much quality and personality, and the drivers love it, the fans love it, and yet, yeah, do exactly as, as Harry just said. Um, alter, alternate it with Hockenheim. Both are incredible races. I'd love to have both on the track on the, on the season, sorry, every single season. Get them on the calendar. They're both brilliant Grand Prix. Uh, but if it does mean that we've got to have the Nürburgring one year, Hockenheim the next, I'm okay with that because you know you're going to get at least a better than average Grand Prix. At least a better than average Grand Prix. And that is a lot more than you can say for a lot of Grand Prix. Um, Sochi, we're looking at you. Um, so, yeah, big thumbs up. I loved it. Again, this the race we've just had wasn't the most groundbreaking race of all time. It wasn't the most electric classic we're ever going to think about, but it was a good Grand Prix. It was exciting. There were mistakes. It was fun. So I want more of that. So please, 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 please consider it. If Chase Carey, you're listening to this or Stephanie Wingekali, I know you are. Give it a go. Just for us boys, please. Thank you. Off you go, Ben. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> the Nürburgring is actually God in circuit form. <laughs> if you didn't know that already. Um, I love the Nürburgring so much. I mean, it's a great circuit, and today proved it for those who weren't aware of it before. Um, yeah, all of these modern circuits, and you know, we already know which ones I'm talking about here. These modern circuits just have no character whatsoever. The undulation and the character of the Nürburgring is on full display uh, and today just proved what a great race it can provide. That turn one, two, three complex is is brilliant. You know, it, it enables, you know, moves to happen into turn one. And with the DRS, it actually works fairly well at the moment because it gives the opportunity to pass into turn one. But it's also not two miles long that the that the move is done, you know, on the on the start finish line. You know, all the moves are still mostly you know, done into the corner. And that's not it. You know, it, there is the potential to fight back, as we saw with Bottas versus Hamilton and Leclerc versus Ricardo, and that battle can continue on for a few more corners. The rest of the lap is wonderful as well. So I really, really think we should return here again and again. 
Um, especially with the new car, I'd love to see the new cars go around there as well. I think that could be a, an amazing spectacle. Um, in terms of the uh, Grand Prix sharing agreement, um, yeah, I've been banging on about this for years now. Um, I really think it's something that the FIA should should look at, and I think this season has been evidence that they definitely should look at it. My ideal would be to have a 20 race calendar and have say 12 or 13 permanent fixtures and then have the other seven and eight as alternate races so you could have that with germany with hockenheim in the nurburgring you you could you could alternate a second italian grand prix between imola and Mugello or whatever you like really It, it means we get more circuits on the calendar on a regular basis without uh, overinflating the calendar to the point where it's unrealistic. You know, if we, we can't go to 25, 26 races per year, it's just not going to work. Um, so to have that sort of alternating, uh, to have these circuits on an alternate basis would be brilliant. Uh, and the Nürburgring would fit in lovely with that. We know that there's been financial issues before with the Nürburgring and not having the German Grand Prix there because of it. And you know, the track sharing agreement was was financially led to begin with. Um, but yeah, what a circuit. What a circuit. I will be writing a, a strongly worded letter to Mr. Domenicali, if that is your real name. <laughs> Mr. Sunday. <laughs> I, I would be scared. I think they need to, they need to run and hide. Ben's coming for you. How Dear Mr. One. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, after that, I think it's uh, a good time to get out of here. So, Sam, if you wouldn't mind doing the honours. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast and please continue to join us. We've got way more coming up another one later on in the week. And of course, we'll then be back next week for the preview of Porto Mal, the uh, first ever F1 appearance in uh, that Portuguese track. Looking forward to that. I think that'll be quite exciting, but we'll be back, of course, later in the week because some more F1 chicksha. Other videos on YouTube as well will be going out. We've got a good one about Kimi Raikkonen, about him breaking the record, of course, this weekend that we've just had. So keep your eyes peeled for that about soon. Let us know what you think. Join us on Twitter at El Breaking. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eve. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network.